0: The followers of Jesus have a have a lot in common with Abraham. Uh, we read those two scripture passages, and thank you, Doug, for reading again. This is a year of engagement in the Word of God, as, as much as we can engage with the Word of God. I'm so thankful for all of you who are reading along with the story, and uh, and and just. Diving into God's Word. I think this is just going to be a really blessed year. But we have a lot in common with Abraham. First, we're all, just like Abraham, we're called to go. Abraham was called to go, we're called to go. And just like Abraham, that going comes with promises attached. It comes with promises attached. So, we're called to go, and there is promises attached. So, um, Last week we talked, let me just back up a little bit, you'll see the little red poster on the wall, last week we talked about the creation story all the way up to uh, Noah and the end of the flood and the rainbow, that sort of big, it's a lot of stuff we covered, uh, but last week we really centered on one concept, I want to reiterate it so that we remember it, it came down to my will or God's will, is it going to be my way or God's way? And uh, of course, we saw the temptation in the in the garden, where it, it came down to uh, Eve and Adam deciding: were they going to follow the example of the dark spiritual forces that were, you know, sort of behind the serpent's temptation—the "I will, I will, I will," you know, the desire to be God, not to honor God or respect or obey God, but to be God yourself, to be the one who calls the shots in your own life. And we contrasted that with Jesus, right? Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and then Jesus modeled it perfectly he modeled it perfectly in the garden when he was facing the cross one of the most, you know, the most horrid ways that humanity could, uh, could pour out its wrath on a person and he faced not only that but the wrath of God to be poured out on him he prayed this prayer uh, not my will but yours be done So we have, on one side, the temptation to reject God's will and embrace our will, our self-promotion and self-elevation. And on the other side, we see Jesus, who even though he was God, he took this subservient position to the Father and gave us an example for how to respond to that temptation, to say, Lord, it's your will. And uh, I said last week, you're you're either going to say to God, your will be done, Or God will say to you, your will be done. And we talked a lot about how his will is much better than our will. And uh, if we follow our own will, it leads to darkness. And if we follow his will, it leads to light. So all of that comes into this week. Because this week we're talking about if we are following God's will, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, it means to go. It means to go. These two passages we've read both have, have talked about if, we're, if, if God's will is what we're embracing, if we're saying, God, your will be done, if we embrace his will, it naturally follows that God has the right to call us to go. The right to call us to go. And we catch a little bit more by reading these passages. If you want to be a blessing, you must go. Now, I don't know all the parameters for your go or my go. Um, how do we know what God has called us to go to and to do? Um, there's probably lots of ways that we can, we can um, really try to figure that out. I mean, being in the Word is the first thing. You start with being in the Word because then you start thinking like God as opposed to just thinking like whatever the thought of the day is or thinking like you're naturally prone to think. But to think like God, you need to be in God's Word, uh, and that's the first thing. And then submit to His will. Submit to his will. Say, Lord, your will be done. And then you sort of, you know, there's a process. You know, you you get people around you who tell you what your strengths and weaknesses are and how you're uniquely shaped and how you could be a blessing. And then you pay attention to what's broken in the world. and, And it all sort of starts to work together. And you stir it all with prayer. And God starts showing you, this is how you're shaped. This is what I desire in the world. This is where the world is broken. And this is where you can help, right? It's the call of God sort of comes out of a process like that. I'm not describing it too precisely because it's not often that precise. It really is a journey that God takes us on to follow his will. But it's a call to obey, a call to go. And often it's out of our comfort zone. Abraham's call to go was out of his comfort zone. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Wow. Wow. That's giving up everything comfortable that you know, love, and are used to. That's pretty radical. I was at uh, the World Pentecostal Conference in Calgary uh, in August, and there was three and a half thousand delegates that had come from all over the globe. Seventy-four nations were represented at the telecenter there in in Calgary, and um, they um, they had lots of different speakers. Some most like speakers who were like pastors and leaders of huge churches or big church networks. A lot of the ones who were speaking were leading uh, organizations in the tens of thousands, and some were leading organizations in the hundreds of thousands. They had the pastor of the biggest church in Korea. His church is the size of Winnipeg, and then it is, actually. It's over a half a million, and, uh, and then his network is almost a million. And I was just like... Okay, I'm here, I'm ready to take notes. How do you do that? What does that look like? Uh, Anyhow, so as I'm listening to these leaders from around the globe, one of my favorite ones was a pastor from uh, Ghana. And he he was just saying, we are so blessed in Ghana. We are so blessed in Ghana. We are so, so blessed. 70% of Ghana are Christians. He said, what an amazing thing to live in a country where 70% of the nation are Christians. And he's just talking about that blessing, that blessing. And then he said, how did we get there? How did this come to be? And he said, well, if you want to know, you can go for a walk through the cemeteries of Ghana. The old cemeteries. Not the cemeteries where people were buried in the last 100 years, but people that were buried in the last two, 300 years. And he said, You walk through the cemeteries of Ghana, and you'll find that none of the names in those cemeteries, or they have these cemeteries, he said, that are full of Germans and Swiss. I mean, that's funny because Ghana was a British colony. It was, but the Germans and the Swiss came in droves to bring the gospel and to die in Ghana. And they're buried there. So you go through these, these uh, graveyards, and it's like Heinz and Franz and all these. Strange European names. But that's why they're blessed. They say, we're blessed today because somebody went. Because somebody heard the call of God. Go, and they obeyed. So we're called of God to go, and God promises blessing. Now let's look at the promise to Abraham. It says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. Oh, that's a great one. I'd love to be a blessing. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. Wow, that's that's some sort of level of protection there. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Wow, that's a pretty wide scope of blessing. Do you ever think, how much blessing is my family going to be to the world? Uh, Maybe we'll help a few people. Or maybe a few dozen. Or maybe, if you really think big, maybe a couple hundred. Or maybe you think a little bit bigger and you think, could it be through the generations that come after me, we could help a thousand? Well, Abraham's blessing was way huge than that. Every nation in the world, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So you say, wow. So to have the Jewish people, that was Abraham's descendants, have the Jewish people blessed all the nations of the world like that? Well, this is pointing to Jesus. That's what you need to know. It's pointing to Jesus, to the promise that, that, that uh, God had a heart for all the nations long before even Abraham's descendants were a nation. And God's plan was to give the, the nations Jesus and through Jesus to bless them all. And so if you've been blessed by Jesus, you could say your family has been blessed by Abraham. If you say, man, Jesus is a blessing in our family's life. Well, that's because God made a promise. And Abraham took that promise to the bank and he walked into it. There's a promise to us as well. We read about God sending out us. Go to the nations. And then he gives a couple promises. First, he tells us a little bit about himself. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then... He goes on to say, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So basically, I, the one with all authority, will go with you as you go. I'm going to give you authority to teach the nations, to go to the nations and to teach the nations. And I love this little part in the verses, and this is probably, some of you will probably love it too. It says, When they gathered for this moment where Jesus was commissioning them to go, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. (laughs) That's so gracious of God. Say, hey, you know there's a couple of you guys that are really doubting right now? I'm still giving you the authority to go to the nations. I'm still commissioning you to teach them. You just think, oh, God only really deputizes those people that are like really super confident or that never have any doubts do you think that's how it works? It's like, oh, I know some spiritual leaders. And they, have, they never have any doubts. That's what I love about that Worldwide Pentecostal conference. These guys who lead these massive churches getting up and saying, yeah, here's how I made mistakes. Here I flubbed it up. Here I depended on myself and it went nowhere. And then I started trusting God. And you go, that was what I was taking away from the whole thing. I was like, wow, trust God, Steve. Because these guys are just as human as you are. And these guys in the Bible are the same just as human as we are. Some doubted, and yet they went to the nations and saw them transformed. So by faith, uh, I want to I jump into the New Testament, and, and there's lots said about Abraham in the New Testament, and I think it's really helpful to find out how he got to where he got. Hebrews eleven five 5 to 9, or, um, I'm going to start at verse 8, I think. And by faith, I'm jumping down several verses here. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. How did Abraham get to being the father of a great nation? He got there by faith. It's like me asking you this question. How did you get to church today? You say, well, I got here by car. Or I got here by bike. Or I got here on foot. How did Abraham get to be a father of many nations? He got there by faith. That was the vehicle. That was the method. That was the way he got there. Well, but how does that work? It's by having faith in what God promises. It's by having faith in what God promised. So God made this incredible promise. You'll be a blessing to the nations. Uh, all these different things. Can you imagine him going to Sarah and saying, Sarah, God's going to make us a blessing. He's going to take us to a land, you know, a chosen land for us. Um, We're going to, through us, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. He's listing off all the things that God has promised. And then you can just see him at the end saying, we got to start packing. Because I trust in God's promise, I'm excited about the go. Normally, I'm not excited to leave my neighborhood, leave my family, leave my country, and go on an adventure that seems perilous at best. But God's promised something. And because I believe it, we're going to go. That was what what he was commended for. That's why he was considered a hero of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, because he acted by faith. He trusted God's promise, and he went. So he left the city he loved and he set out for a foreign land. And from our earthly perspective, Abraham, he looks careless. He looks sort of like a vagabond, pulling up his roots, hitting the road without a plan. And yet the author, author of Hebrews commends him for having left all he knew because the God who called him was worth leaving everything he had built for himself. Genesis 15.1 uh, is an interest. I love this statement. It says, uh, the word came to Abraham in a vision. And this is what... God said to Abraham, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. Don't be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. Oh my, this could be like the statement over his life. Like, don't be afraid. Guess what? Abraham, you're going to do some, very, some things that will cause you worry and anxiety and outright fear at times. But don't be afraid because I am your shield. Right? Remember I said that those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. I'm going to be with you in this whole thing. I'm your shield. But not only am I your shield, I'm your very great reward. Now, he didn't say, I'm your very great rewarder, though he could have. Because look at the promise. He's promising him all this stuff. He's promising, uh, I mean, they, you know, we recognize this in this story, if you've, if you've read it, that he, they were old. And they couldn't have kids. And it was unlikely in the natural that they would ever have kids. Well, it was impossible in the natural. So you'd say, wow, it seemed like God was a great rewarder to give them a child, to make them a nation, to give them this blessed position, to give them this land. But actually, he doesn't say that because it's not as important. He says, I'm your very great reward. I am your very... Great reward. Relationship with God is the best thing God gives. Even though he gives us so much more than that. The best thing he gives is relationship with him. I've done this before as an exercise when I have kids in the service, but I'll take a loony in my hand and I'll get a kid to pry it out of my fingers. And then when they run away, they're happy. And you know what? They value that loony way more than they value relationship with me. In fact, I was the obstacle, stopping them from getting it. They were prying it on my hand. And I think a lot of people view God that way. They view him like, you know, I'm trying to get stuff from God. I want him to be a rewarder in my life, but I don't think he's a reward. I don't know that a relationship with him is as valuable as what he could give me. Now you change, I always change the dynamic. I say, now pretend that this loony is in the hand of your father, or your mother, or your grandma, or your grandpa. Now is that loony as valuable to the child as grandpa is or whoever I'm illustrating with. And they say, oh, no, no, no. When the kid matures, when the kid matures, they'll get it that that loony, even if they play that game a thousand times, that loony is nothing compared to relationship with their grandparent. And that's the same with us spiritually. We go, wow, God, if I serve God, he'll give me this, 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 and this. That's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. But not nearly as awesome as the fact that you can have a relationship with God. That's more awesome than what he can give you. And as we mature, just like a little child, as we mature and we come to understand that he is, the, the, the great end result of the good news of the gospel is that you get God. Not that you get something from his hand. Even though he does bring blessing into our lives. So I'm your shield. So that puts you at ease. I'll protect you. But I'm your very great reward. The best thing Abraham had was relationship with God. Jesus talked a little bit about this contrast of, you know, what's most valuable in our lives. Matthew 19, 29, he talked about people who leave, people who go. And everyone who's left houses, this is Matthew 19, 29, and everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children, now that one's confusing, but hang on, Or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now, I don't think the or wife thing is not proposing that you leave your, you end your marriage, okay? Or abandon your children. But it's just saying, some people in the course of following God have had to make huge sacrifices. Well, yeah, there's a cost. But if you're just looking at the cost, you'll say, well, it's not worth it. But if you're looking at the promise then you'll say, it is more than worth it. It's actually not a dumb decision. It's a wise decision, right? But, you, but often we don't look at that. Often we don't, we don't see the end of this, you know. He says, for my sake, we'll receive 100 times as much and we'll inherit eternal life. So do you, if you trust God, you suddenly say, wow, even though I might have to sacrifice, even though I might lose comfort, even though I, uh, I won't have the scenario that maybe I dreamed up for my life, I, the scenario God is dreaming up for my life is better and I'm going to put my trust in him. Put my trust in the one who's not just calling me from one place to another here on earth but has gone to prepare a place for me in heaven. He cares for me that much. So let's talk about a little bit more of the implications of Abraham. Galatians 3, 6-9 tells us how this carries forward into our lives today. It says, Abraham believed God... And it was credited to him as righteousness. So, how did Abraham become right with God? He lived way before Jesus did. So, how did he, be, he even live before the law was given to Moses? How did he become right with God? He just believed God, he trusted God, and he obeyed God. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture force, you know, anyone heard that song, Father Abraham and many sons? This is where it comes from, right? I got kicked out of my Sunday school class when I was about 13 because I was arguing with my Sunday school teacher, who happened to be the pastor's wife, and uh, she wanted us to sing Father Abraham, and I said, no, that song has no scriptural and spiritual value. (laughs) So I got kicked out of my Sunday school class, and I was sent up to sit with my parents in the adult class upstairs. Since then, I've come to realize it does have some scriptural and spiritual value. (laughs) Understand then, this is what I did understand, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Oh man, that phrase, you gotta catch this. He announced the gospel in advance. Well, gospel is sort of like a New Testament word. It's like after Jesus, then everyone went around spreading the gospel, which means the good news. They tell the good news about Jesus, that God has provided a way to himself through Jesus, through his sacrificial death, through his perfect life, through his his resurrection. That's the gospel. But God was speaking out the gospel in advance 4,000 years ago through Abraham, to Abraham. When he was saying, I'm going to bless the whole world through you, it wasn't just that the Jews were going to be great. It was that one of them was going to be the Messiah. So the gospel in advance was already being spoken that this great blessing was going to come. Last week we talked about there's lots of hints in the creation story. We talked about how the snake crushing analogy, right? The, the son of the woman or the, the, the seed of the woman, but the son of the woman, the great-great-great-great-great-grandson of Eve would crush the head of the snake, meaning defeat the evil spiritual forces of the enemy and bring us back to that relationship we had in the garden. Right? So there's a snake crusher who wants to bring you back to the garden, if I can say it in the most confusing way. <laughs> but these things are all through the Old Testament. It's just scattered through there. It's like there's a great big, you know, those foam fingers. You say, we're our team's number one. There's a great big foam finger, massive one. The Old Testament pointing to the New Testament saying, this is all about the one to come. This is all about Jesus. This is all fulfilled in him. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. We are Gentiles, not Jews, right? Justify us by faith, just like he justified Abraham. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. That's announcing the gospel in advance. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So how did how did he become right with God? He, there was no sacrificial system, there was no Jesus to trust in. What? He just believed God. He just believed God. He trusted God and he put his through his whole life on God. So I got to talk about the awkward passage. And if you read the readings, you know which one it is. There's probably, a re- if you read the readings, you probably got to a passage and you felt like your heart was bursting as you read it. And I'm going to read, just skip forward here. It's, it's uh, in Genesis 22. It says, sometimes later, God tested Abraham. Okay. You need context. Oh, we need context for this. It's really important. So let me tell you a little more of Abraham's story. Abraham goes to this other land, and it's like, Abraham believes God. Isn't that great? This awesome guy who always believes God? Eh, wrong. He doesn't always believe God. He doesn't always trust God. I'll give you a couple examples. Okay? One, one big example was his wife, even though she was old, was still a knockout like, that's what the Bible tells us. It doesn't say the word knockout, but it says she was beautiful. She was a beautiful older woman. And I don't know, like, I don't know the whole timeline, how old she was at that point when they were doing their journey. But they run into l- rulers and kings. At one point, they run into Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when they run into him, Abraham is freaking out and he's like, everybody's going to realize I married up. My super hot wife, who's twice as hot as I am by far, he says, is going to draw the attention of the Egyptians and they'll want her, they'll kill me. So he's afraid. So he tells his wife, he says, okay, how about we just say we're brother and sister so no one will kill me? And she goes along with this plan. And sure enough, word gets back to Pharaoh. Hey, have you seen that Sarah? Sarah? From the Ur of Chaldees, that's where they were from originally. She's beautiful. And he takes her into uh, his harem. So Abraham is not trusting God at this point, he's coming up with a scheme. It's actually something in his family tree. If you read the story of Jacob, he schemes and schemes and schemes and schemes and schemes until he gets to that night where God comes in human form to wrestle with him. Can you imagine God coming in human form? I always wonder what that human form is, like 300 pounds of ripped muscle? Or just maybe a little guy, like an MMA fighter who always knows the counter moves? I don't know. Like, if you're God, you can have fun any way you want. But he comes, and he wrestles Jacob, and he pins him. I can just imagine Jacob in that wrestling match being tossed around like a rag doll every which way, exhausted, and he's hanging on for dear life. And then at a certain point, he comes to realize, you know what? It's not my schemes, I've been scheming my whole life, but it's not my schemes that are going to get me ahead or make things work. Or it's to save me from the wrath of Esau, which is just around the corner. Who I deceived my brother and he is rightly mad at me. The only thing that can save me is if God saves me. And so he hangs on to for dear life and says, I won't let go of you unless you bless me. Please, bless me. No more schemes. Only you. Abraham hasn't got there yet. He's still... You know what? God provides, though. You know how God provides? God, uh, I think... Okay, let me get it right. With Pharaoh, that was the first time this happened, because this happened twice, if you can believe it. What it happened with Pharaoh, he got, everybody got sick. Everybody got sick. And that was his protection over that whole situation for Sarah and everything like that. Later on, it happens with another leader. His name is Abimelech, uh, And in that case, God visits... Same story say you're my sister because you're too good-looking and people kill me, she gets snatched up by another leader. Like, come on, husbands. Has your hu- Look, if you're a wife and your husband has not sort of, uh, you know, given you over to some person because he was too scared, you're too beautiful. you know, he's already better than Abraham. Your husband's already better than Abraham. Abraham was just... So Abimelech does the exact same story, exact same scenario, takes him, her and God visits Abimelech in a dream, because Abimelech actually has a pretty good heart, and he comes to him in a dream, and he just says, warns him, he, he seizes this phrase that's used several times in the story, you're as good as dead. Remember he said, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you, <laughs> you're as good as dead, Abimelech, because that, that woman's married, and you took her. And Abimelech said, I didn't know, I didn't know. And God is merciful to Abimelech. And then Sarah. So God provides. Abraham, as a husband, does not provide well. His schemes are a disaster, but God provides in both those scenarios. And then the third one, this is the worst one, is that Sarah and Abraham are starting to think that this is not working out. God said we would have a son, and we aren't having a son. We don't have a child, and we're too old. And you know what? We do have that one Young woman who works for us, Hagar. Maybe that's how God wants to provide. Maybe we could sort of help God. God helps those who help themselves. I'm sorry, that's super cringy, especially in this context. So, Abraham sleeps with Hagar, and they have a son, Ishmael. That's not God's plan, that's not what he wanted. And it ends up being Hagar and Ishmael eventually, uh, when, when Isaac is born, the son of promise is born, that they get sent off. And you know what God says? He, he doesn't allow them. It looks like they're just going to die in the desert. But God meets Hagar and Ishmael in the desert, and he does something amazing. He not only provides for them in that moment, but he makes a promise to Hagar that I, because I said I'd bless Abraham's descendants, I'm going to make your descendants into a great nation too. (laughs) Wow. So Abraham's been teetering back and forth between this guy who believes God and his promises and being this guy who says, it doesn't look like it's working out. I don't know if I can trust God. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And that leads us to this story today. That's the context that you need to know, is that he's having trouble trusting God. And so God takes him to this, and it says sometime later, God tested Abraham. If you start at verse 2 and not verse 1, you will read this story wrong. The context matters. It's a test. It's a test. It's a test. If you think, I can't read this story to my kids, they'd be too freaked out by this story. Then just read verse 1 and tell them. Don't worry, it's just a test. This is a squeamish story. This is an uncomfortable story, but it's just a test. It's just a test. You can relax. It's a test. So let's read it. How did he test him? He said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. you know this is the first part in the Bible where love is mentioned? It makes the story harder, not easier. Abraham really loved his son, and God knew this. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Whoa. So let's just talk about it. The Bible in every verse that you can read about child sacrifice is completely and 100% against child sacrifice. There's verse after verse after verse after verse that just says, don't do this, God hates this. Uh, Do I have one at the ready? I read about six or seven of them. But it's everywhere, it's everywhere. God absolutely hates, oh, Deuteronomy 12, 31. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, the way of the nations around them, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. Like what? They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifice to their gods. Abraham grew up in that culture. He was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees in a culture where he would have, at a young age, worshipped these same idols that required child sacrifice. What was child sacrifice about? It was about advancement. You have ten children. You sacrifice one. And out of that, you believe that your, your crops will flourish, your livestock will flourish, and you'll probably get more children your fertility will flourish. That's the belief. That was the trust. It was, a, it, was a, it was a business decision. It was an advancement decision. Totally wicked and evil and all of that. But this is what Abraham grew up with. This is what all the neighbors were doing. This is what all the neighboring nations were doing. This was normal. And Abraham... Hadn't, Moses hadn't come, the law hadn't been given, Jesus hadn't arrived. Abraham was just a guy trying to figure out who this God is that I'm following who makes this great promise. He was an idol, idol-worshiping dude who comes along and he's, and he's having these experiences with this God. And he's trying to engage him. So when God says, I want you to sacrifice his son, in one hand, from his background, it makes some sense. He's like, yeah, well, that's, that's where it always ends with the worship of gods, it ends, in, it ends in child sacrifice. And yet this God is not like that. This is a test. So God does something, he, he does something that would be culturally known. Now, Abraham has to reckon with the fact that he's only got one kid. And that kid was provided by God. And so he's got this conflict in his mind. God said he'd make me into a great nation, and then he'd give me a son. Well, he did give me a son, but now God's saying I have to sacrifice his son. How did these things reconcile? Let's read the story. It says, early in the morning, Abraham got up, he loaded the donkey, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I... And the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. You're like, what is he thinking? We will worship, and then we will come back to you. It's like, no, Abraham, don't you know what God has said for you to do? Well, he does know what God has said to do. What are you thinking? You think, you know, the story is so tense that you, you, th- you want to know what he's thinking. You want to know what he's thinking. You know what it actually says in the New Testament, what he's thinking? Here's what he's thinking. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, um spoiling the story but let's keep going even though god had said to him it is through isaac that your offspring will be reckoned there's that tension abraham reasoned this is what he was thinking abraham reasoned that god could even raise the dead and so in a manner of speaking he did receive isaac back from death so here's isaac he's going up here and he's going I I have to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to obey God. And yet, I think he can raise the dead. I believe he can raise the dead. I'm so confident that God can do this thing that I told the servants we're coming back down the hill again. I don't know if my son's going to be resuscitated in one minute or ten hours. but I'm going to come back down this hill again with my son. I don't know exactly how God's going to do it. I don't know how this all works. I'm, I'm not, I don't know everything I need to know, but I know enough. And I'm going to obey. And so he takes, he goes up the hill. He took the wood and placed it on his son, Isaac. That's foreshadowing. Isaac carrying the wood up the hill. Do we know someone else who carried wood up a hill for our sakes? Jesus carried the cross up the hill. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I'm just going to circle that again. God himself will provide. You know, in worship, I was staring at this poster. We got posters. You know, we have posters for this whole series. I love these posters. They're really great. I was staring at this one, and, and I think I got it backwards in my head, but I kept looking at it and going, well, why is the knife pointing this way? Because I thought this was Isaac's hand, but I think this is the angel's hand, but whatever. It's art. You can interpret it however you want, right? And so I was looking at it, and I go, why is the knife pointing this way when here's the boy? Why is the knife pointing this way when... And in, oh my goodness, I maybe have interpreted it different than the original artist intended, but it hit me like a ton of bricks in worship today. God provided so that the knife didn't go into Isaac. I mean, yes, now I'm seeing the poster different probably than the original artist, but this is what I saw. I just saw this little hand and I thought, that's Isaac. Why is the knife pointing the other way? Because God provided. God provided, and his provision was Jesus. His provision was Jesus. I remember the story a few years ago. We had some missionaries tell a story about living in a certain culture, and and, uh, and a family had sent their child away to study at a religious school. And in that context, giving a child up, to go to the religious school to study meant favor for the ones who stayed. So you'd give up one kid. Sound familiar? You'd give up one kid so that everyone else would be blessed. And the family was in knots about this because they heard that their, their son, who'd gone away to study in the religious school, and that religion had been, been treated badly. He was being beaten, and he wasn't learning fast enough, and they were worried. But yet they're holding on to this religious zeal of a, that he, he is he's doing that and that will bless our family. And then they got exposed to the gospel. They started hearing about how God will provide. It's not us that provide for our own right standing with God, but that God will provide. And it's not the wrath of God that poured out on humankind, but it's the wrath of God poured out on Jesus. That's the provision. And so when they came to fully understand that, they went and got their son, And they brought him back into their family. Because it wasn't us who provide the way to God. It's God who provides the way to God. And they came to understand it. When they reached the place, God had told them about Abraham built an altar. And he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld to me your son, your only son. You say, it's a test. How is it a test? Is it testing what Abraham will do? What's inside of Abraham? Does he really trust God? Does he really think God is his great reward and that anything God gives him is second by comparison? Abraham loves his son. He's not doing this because he's indifferent. Why this agonizing choice? Why this agonizing choice? I mean, God is always wanting to bring us into uh, obedient walking out of what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And then, secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. He always wants us to walk those things out in our life. But you know what? It's easy for second to become first or third to become first or 75th to become first. And just like Jacob, when he was scheming, 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 he got to a point in his life, you know, remember they took all their idols with them when they left Laban's house? There came a point where they just buried them under a tree in Shechem. It was like a, a line in the sand saying, no, it's got to be about God now. It can't be, we can't be divided in our thinking. And God will bring us to those places in our lives. I remember when he did that with my relationship with uh, my wife. I was dating her and um, really, oh, no, I wasn't dating her. That's back up the truck. I was writing her, phoning her, and thinking about her nonstop. And uh, then she came up for a weekend to visit me where I was at, and I asked her out, and she turned me down. And I journaled like mad after that. And in that time, I came to a realization, and it was just, it was like God was helping me clarify something. What's most important in my life? Is it more important that is it more important to me that I build a life with her, or is it more important that I build a life with God? Is relation, I mean, I adored Marnie. I obsessed about Marnie, probably, to be honest. I really, really wanted to be in a relationship with her and I wanted to marry her. And yet, here God was showing me. As great as she is, relationship with God is ultimate. So I remember writing in my journal, probably with tears on, this, you know, on the page, God, I don't need this girl, even though I really want her, but I do need you. And I remember when we got married, we did get back together. Eventually she, you know, t- changed her mind. Yes. And... Uh, When we got married, I remember standing up at my wedding and basically saying, you know, before we met each other. This this relationship you see here is built on a previous relationship. It's built on the fact that we both encountered Jesus before. And he's our first love. He's our first love. And the marriage we're having here today, this is amazing. We're so in love with each other, but we have a greater love. We both do. And it's Jesus, and we just got to tell you, it's built on that. But it took a time of testing for me to come to that. When Marnie turned me down, it gave me the opportunity to realize where I was really at. Maybe my obsession about her had placed her above Jesus and that needed to shift in order for all, everything to be healthy. I'll tell you one last story. I heard him speak. His name was Jack Toth. Some of you might know who he is. but Anyway, he told this story about living in a very nice section of Calgary and having a sense from God that God was calling him to go and not leave Calgary, but to just go to one of the most sort of rotten sections of town. And you know, Calgary presents very well when you go there. You just think it's suburbs everywhere. But there's parts of Calgary that are not so nice and there's more crime, more drugs, uh, more problems, you know, whatever. And uh, God was calling him to leave very nice, part of town where he lived, and to move into a neighborhood that wasn't nice. And he and his wife were really quite nervous about this, especially for their children, because they had young children. And so they battled back and forth in their hearts and minds about this decision, to go or not to go. The, the promise of God in this was very significant that if he went there, he just had a sense that there'd be uh, lives that would be changed, people that would be affected, that the ministry that they were trying to start in Calgary, that whole Heroes program and, and in its infancy that they did eventually start, and it has big impact, that that was the promise, that God's mission in the world would be advanced by this move, but yet, what about our kids? What about our kids? Will they be safe? Will that be a good neighborhood? Will it be comfortable? Uh, will we and lots of back and forth on it. Anyhow, it came to a point where God just really uh, basically asked him, do you trust me with your kids? Do you trust me that I care about your kids? Like, Do you trust me with your kids? And he describes it like this. He describes it like taking his children one at a time, like thinking about each of his, his sons and daughters and actually just sort of Offering them to the Lord. And saying, Lord, okay, you're a better provider than I am. And I trust you with each of my children. And he just went through this process of sort of just surrendering them to the Lord. And I trust you with this one. And I trust you with this one. You will provide. You will provide. And God has blessed his going. And God has blessed their surrender. And, uh, but it had to come to a point of test. Can I get you to stand? It took a lot to get Abraham to that point where he said to his son, in the hottest moment of testing in his life, God will provide. It took a lot. He didn't have it. When he, in other tests, other tests he failed, but in that test he passed. And God, if there's any area that you've put your faith in, or you've latched onto as, um, I must have, you know, there's so many, I mean, Isaac was a great gift from God and the people in your life are great gifts from God, the friends and the family and those relationships. But you know what? Jesus doesn't want your life to be out of kilter. If there's anything you value above him, he's gonna, I don't know when, but he's gonna ask you about it. He's gonna bring it to your attention. If you're following him, if you're wanting to do his will, if you're sensitive to his promptings in your life, he will ask you about it. If you're saying, God, I want your will in my life, not my will, but your will be done, he'll ask you about this. He'll bring you to the point The point of testing, the point of decision, like he did for me and my wife, like he did for Jack Toth, like he did for Abraham. He'll bring you to that point where you'll have to decide. And it's a point of surrender. For me, lots of those times I was like, I don't know if I, in different points of surrender, I don't know if I get this back if I give it to God. And actually you don't. That's what the test is. Say, God, if I surrender this to you, what if I don't get it back? And it gets us right to the nitty gritty. Do you love that more than me? Do you love that more than me? Do you love houses and lands and brothers and sisters and wife and son and daughter more than me? Are you worshiping at the feet of an idol? Have you turned people in your life into an idol? Are there some people that you must have their approval? Are there some people that you just must have in your life? If they knew you followed Jesus, they might reject you. It's an idol. And so God brings you to this point of decision to choose him. To choose him above all things. He'll do it several times during your life because other things will will vie for that spot in your imagination and your affections. And he'll keep bringing you back. I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to pray, but you pray along. I mean, you just pray in your own the silence of your own heart. God, would you examine our hearts? We don't always see correctly. Would you examine our hearts? Would your Holy Spirit just point things out? I think you've already been doing that for sure. But would you do that if there's more work to be done this morning in any of our hearts? Just show us. Show us anything that we've exalted above you and and ahead of you that doesn't it's not supposed to be number one maybe it's a bad thing and it needs to be eradicated maybe it's a good thing it just needs to take a number it needs to be placed after you and you need to be exalted again in our lives we sang that this morning you're all I want you're all I've ever needed help me know you are there or you are near We sang that this morning. Lord, we want those words to come from uh, lips that are speaking truth because you've done a purifying work in our heart. So, Lord, anything that we cling to as ultimate other than you, help us to release right now. Help us to release. Help us to take our white knuckles off of those things and people and relationships and say, Lord, you can have this too. If you give it back, I'll praise you. If you don't give it back, I'll praise you. You are my great reward. You are my great reward. Relationship with you is what I need. I need you. So Lord, we praise you this morning. Thank you for your provision all the way through the scriptures. Thank you that Abraham points to Jesus so well show us that you provided for us on the cross and that we can cry out to you uh, for forgiveness and redemption and for relationship because of what Jesus did. So this morning we just exalt you, we honor you, we recognize you and uh, we return to you if that's what's happening this morning for any of us. Thank you that you, uh, you receive us so well with such grace and mercy in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, I just want to thank you. We've gone a little long here, so we're not going to end with music, but I just want to end. There's prayer teams that are going to be here. If you want someone to pray with you, we'd love to do that. God bless you. If you need to walk out what we talked about this morning with some action steps, jot them down, put them in your phone. uh, Take the steps of obedience that God is calling to you. But God bless you and make you a blessing as you take Jesus to the nations.